between the wisdom passed down by ancient healing traditions, anecdotal experience, and modern clinical trials, one thing is clear. Mushrooms are medicinal powerhouses. And I finally found a brand, a product, a company that I feel really aligns with all of my research and understanding when it comes to the medicinal properties of mushrooms, and that is Alchemy Mushrooms. They grow their mushrooms in California on organic mushroom farms. They keep the whole mushroom in their supplements, and they actually blend mycelium and fruit body in their mushroom powders and capsules to give you the best of both worlds. You can learn more at Alchemy Mushrooms. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I, alchemymushrooms.com. Use the discount code MUSHROOMHOUR for 20% off your order. Alchemy with an I, mushrooms.com. Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the privilege to get to know mushroom cultivation artist, Kit. Kit is the founder of Bewilder, a mycological design studio based in Singapore. As the one-man R&D team behind this project, Kit knows his science. For him, growing mushrooms is an intense and carefully tuned process that also blends in a fair bit of artistry and intuition. Before founding Bewilder, Kiet worked on a local farm cultivating mushrooms out of waste substrates. These years of experience and experimentation formed him into the self-taught mushroom cultivator that he is today. As he explores all the mysteries of growing fungi, he continues to bow his head humbly to the ways of nature. Kiet, thank you so much for joining us on the Mushroom Hour podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having this platform for me to speak to my international brothers and sisters. What's up? It's been really lonely flying the mycological flag in Singapore, man. That was something that I was fascinated by. Before you know, we had the interview, you explained to me how Singapore... Yeah, how in Singapore, you're the only one flying the mushroom flag. You're the only one exploring mycology, as far as you know. Uh, so I definitely want to talk about that. Maybe we just jump in there, because I usually ask people about your influences, you know, what got you into nature and working with mushrooms. So maybe we can tie that in with the general attitude toward mushrooms in, in Singapore, because it's a culture, like I was saying before the show, that I knew very little about. So yeah, why don't we dive into it? Man in Singapore, how did you find your place working with mushrooms? What's that been like? I think when, since I was young, I've always been very connected with nature. I've always been growing plants and observing bugs, right? And I guess growing mushrooms just came as a very natural progression. And I have an addictive nature, you know, growing mushrooms is, is a freaking rabbit hole, right? You, right? you dive in there and you just get caught up. So that's what happened. Um, and and doing this in Singapore has been quite interesting. I've, to be very honest with you, I don't come from a science background. Um, I come from an arts background. And because of this, being in Singapore, I've been talked down to a lot by people of certain stature. And it's it has been really, really challenging. People are telling me that I couldn't do it, you know. But hey, I'm here now. I'm here now. You know, I've I've done it. <laughs> well, talk about that a little bit too, just Singaporean society, because I know a lot of people in the US, I know there are a lot of people in the US that end up finding themselves drawn to mushrooms and drawn to mycology because it feels like a safer space 
kind of free of the crazy capitalist success machine that is America, you know, where everything's about efficiency and profit. And somehow by communing with nature and with mushrooms and studying mycology, it feels like some kind of escape from that world. And so from the little I know about Singaporean society, it might be even more about efficiency and success. So talk about that a little bit and how people then view mushrooms and mycology and what you're doing. Well, Singapore is a small city state, yeah, and it's. I think I think there's a huge shard of mystery around mushrooms in Singapore. Singaporeans are mostly mycophobic. I'm the kind of guy, right? Like, right over here is um, we are we are right at the equator, so it's it's like thirty degrees Celsius year round, and when it rains, the mushrooms just pop up everywhere. So I'm the <laughs> I'm the kind of guy who like pretty much prones down on the ground after heavy rainfall, taking pictures of mushrooms. And I always get people, you know, who, who walk their dogs <laughs> to come up to me and say, hey, you know, don't touch that mushroom because it's poisonous. And I'll be like, nah, man, it's not, it's not poisonous. You know? <laughs> so it, it's really challenging, other than the fact that there, there's that shot of mystery. There's always this focus on, on, on being successful, as you have rightly pointed out. And I guess my job here is really to to show Singaporeans that it's possible to dream and to make things happen, right? Because our willpower is just that strong. And and there's definitely that possibility to to make a living out of what you love, you know? Yeah, a lot of my friends they're they're successful, right? They're like bankers and whatever. But when I ask them, uh, you know, are you are you really happy with with what you're doing with your life and and it's most the, the answers are mostly i don't know there's just this air of uncertainty right and i think it's because they since since young through the the educational system the natural tra trajectories of, of of these systems it people just end up doing something in order to make Mm. an X amount of money to, to survive in Singapore. It's really expensive in Singapore. Right. And I think I I'm I'm pretty lucky. I'm pretty lucky to be this stubborn to to be able to make <laughs> to make a living out of freaking growing mushrooms, man. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's quite funny, but it's the reality and I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to be able to to do this, you know, and to have this conversation right now. It's it's almost impossible but it's it's possible man <laughs> well and you're showing people what's possible i think so many people who are into mycology tend to be more radical free thinkers and i think part of that role that comes with that and it's something the mushrooms show us right like it extends the boundaries of what's possible so as a true voice of the mushroom maybe in your society, you're showing people, hey, there's more possible here, there's more to explore. So I think that's really interesting that not only are you pushing boundaries just by working in mycology, but in your culture, in your society, it feels like you're kind of pushing boundaries about what's standard or what's accepted in terms of a path to follow. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting to get that opportunity if you have the willpower to stick with it, because that's that's tough to go against go against the grain. But what was the inspiration then to start working with mushrooms? You said you come from an arts background. You know, I know in Singapore there are, yeah, by the equator, there are fantastic mushrooms that grow there, bioluminescent mushrooms. 
So what was your inspiration to really start growing them and working with them? I think I think I was just kind of exploring in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while, man. It took me a while. Uh, I've, I've explored pretty much all the different mediums. And, and I think working with something that's living organism uh, is very, very different, right? There's this communication, there's this relationship that, that you cultivate over time. <laughs> And it's just really fulfilling for me to be able to have this communication and and as you mentioned, right, about pushing boundaries. I think I think that's really the bottom line. I mean, I want to I want people to ask questions, you know. And in Singapore, people are just really really shy. I think I think they do have questions, but they don't really dare to speak out. So I want to be that voice, you know, to to show people that it's it's hey man, it's it's okay to to be different, right? It's okay to to shout, you know, it's okay to to have a, a different opinion, and it's and and yeah, we 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 all have different opinions, and we should voice our differences in order to to grow as a species, instead of just saying yes to every damn thing, right? And and in Singapore, that's that's what happens, man. You take the train, and no one talks to you, you know. Everyone's just like on their phones, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've traveled I've traveled a little bit in the past, you know, and I'm sure in the in the US it's. You get you get random strangers coming up to you to have conversations, right? And we we don't have that. It's just so sterile. Of course, growing mushrooms indoors is a you, you need to to observe certain aseptic procedures, blah blah blah. But but at the end, nothing wrong with sterile sometimes. Yeah, nothing wrong. But the 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 reality is that in nature you have all these things at play that comes together to form this one big amazing thing we call nature, right? And Singaporeans are mostly quite, in my opinion, they are quite detached from this connection. And it's pretty sad, man. Like, I think growing mushrooms is really, well, Bewilder, my company, it's really a tool, a tool to, to access this um, opportunity to be able to share certain beliefs that I, I feel that can be of value to, to Singaporeans. It's like being stuck in a terrarium, you know? That's what being in Singapore feels like. We are we are in an island that does not feel like an island. That's really, really sad. <laughs> well, and it's something you find in a lot of modern cultures is people don't have that connection with nature. They don't access those fundamental truths and have that relationship with their greater ecology that I'm convinced is a huge part of feeling fulfilled as a human is to understand the natural world, at least where you are, and your relationship with it, that's something pretty fundamental. And I think in a lot of modern societies, we end up sacrificing that on the altar of efficiency and more man-made systems that can breed a higher quality of life. But then something we were talking about before the show, it's about balance, right? You got to still balance that with some kind of connection with nature. So it's really interesting. You know, the image I get of you is like the radical hyphy. Uh, when I tried Cotter on the show, he talked about the radical hyphal tip. It's kind of like the mass, the mycelium is growing. And there are always these certain offshoots that just go like a completely other direction from the rest of the mycelium just to test the waters and see, hey, if there might be food over there. It's not even going with the flow of the mycelium. It's kind of breaking away. And that's that's where I see Kiet is the radical hyphy. Uh, <laughs> so tell us tell us about your first experience then working at a mushroom farm. Because we just talked about it's kind of mycophobic. There aren't many people dealing with mushrooms or mycology. But I knew you had a job working with waste substrates in uh, a pretty unique 
lab environment. So tell us about that experience at the farm. Yeah, um, so I I was with a social enterprise before starting my own business. I did the R and D to to grow mushrooms for this social enterprise, and after some success, um, <laughs> I got pretty much thrown into a situation where where I had to start a farm. I was not ready for it to be really honest, but it was a uh, it was mm. it was interesting. I I learned a lot. I we. Really, at that time, we it was not things were not so accessible. We could not just buy equipment that easily, so we had to build every damn thing ourselves. So that was great, you know, huge learning curve, but but very valuable experiences. And yeah, so so we were growing mushrooms on used coffee grounds and and sawdust from from the local sawmills. And man, like the sawdust. <laughs> The sawdust in Singapore, a huge nightmare, always a mix of softwoods and hardwoods. So inconsistent, inconsistent yields, just inconsistency. How can a farm be a farm if it's always inconsistent, right? Even coffee grounds. I've tried to grow on coffee grounds before. That can be really inconsistent too. Yeah, yeah. I've worked with, with coffee grounds for like two and a half years. And I, I hate it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really cool when you first hear about it. So, yeah, we could use all that waste, but it's kind of a nightmare to get started. Yeah, the the contamination rates are unbelievable. And, and you know, you just got to add more and more stuff, right? And that's... Man, things are really expensive in Singapore. We do not have any raw materials. So the more things you add, just, the costs just go up. Go up and, and, and then before you know it, growing food is just not affordable for people anymore. And plus the fact that we were a social enterprise, yeah, it just made things a lot more challenging. Uh, we had to we had to close shop, man. We had to close shop after after two years of fighting. But I still maintained the relationship with the the beneficiaries. So I was working with the with Down syndrome adults, and these guys are freaking amazing, man. They they are so genuine, you know. They, I remember there was once I I I did not show up at work because I wasn't feeling too great. And and the next day when I when I went to work, I almost cried because there was just this overpowering of concern. Like like these guys, they were just really really concerned to know whether I was I was doing okay, and that that really touched me, you know. And and to this day, we we maintain this relationship, and I'm really really happy to say that you know, at, after waiting about six years, five six years. I'm finally able to work with them again really, really soon. So there, there is this underlying um, social social good that, that Bewilder wants to be a part of, but but I don't speak about that all the time. I don't even know why I'm talking about it now. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's one of the things that I want to fulfill for Bewilder. I think I think the Bewilder is really about doing good. I think that's mushrooms as a tool to to do good for, for the world. I mean, that's a critical part of the mission. So yeah, you should talk about that all the time is doing <laughs> doing good in the world. And just so I know, when you say a social enterprise uh, in Singapore, you know, we have a nonprofit here. Is that the same thing? Kind of a not-for-profit organization funded by people set up to, yeah, do good in the world. Yeah, the reason why I didn't really want to talk too much about this, and I haven't been talking too much about this, is because in Singapore... Uh, I guess not just restricted to Singapore, but but people tend to you know talk up these uh, stories to sell, and Ooh. yeah, and it's you know we're not talking about numbers here, we're talking about people, right? And it, 
it's quite disheartening when 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 people become freaking numbers, become robots. You know, it's just to fulfill certain uh, KPIs, and and I hate that. I hate that. You know, I think it's injustice. I think if you really want to do good, you don't actually need to speak about it, and that's why. Bewilder is is really uh, for profit. I think whatever I do with the money is is up to is up to me, and I do not need to be able to, I do not need to be answerable to to certain uh, government grants, right? That's to me is is a trap. If you set up, if you set yourself up as an enter- social enterprise, you apply for grants, and then before you know it, you need to hire X number of uh, beneficiaries <laughs> in order to get the next the next amount of money to come in to support the business and I've seen that in my past workplace and I do not want that to happen to me ever ever again <laughs> yeah that definitely loses the spirit of doing good in the world when it's structured and suddenly has to meet certain objectives and that that can definitely take it away take it away from the mission well then yeah let's talk about founding bewilder because you know you just elucidated for us what that social enterprise work you were doing before that led to a mushroom farm. You know, I was reading one of the articles you sent me and it was that you were playing with substrates and experimenting out of used toilets, basically, uh, with, some of your, with some of the chambers that you were working with. So, you know, what was then the inspiration or, or what was it like then to found Bewilder? Because yeah, that's a brave move to step out of something that essentially had to close down and say, I'm gonna keep doing this as a for-profit startup in an extremely competitive capitalist environment. Yeah, so just talk us through that decision and what it was like starting it. I think after after I left the farm, man, I had to take a break. I took like a year off, man. It was just too intense. I was kind of losing it. <laughs> and all your cultures got lost, right? All the culture bet library that you had put together. Fuck. Oh, shit. Man, like, I had a huge culture library and, man, I, I spent like... I spent a lot of time collecting mushrooms and getting all these cultures and they they were thrown out, man. They were thrown out. But, you know, I, I worked quite fast. Uh, I, I, I got back most cultures. <laughs> Being in Singapore, right, we get a lot of mushrooms here. So, yay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to take a, a year off. I, I Then I was kind of working with plants. And this was just an interim period. I, I just had to do something, you know, to get my mind off of the the whole fiasco it, it didn't end very well you know it was it was really really trying and then i after a year of kind of mucking around i i realized that i could not stay away from growing mushrooms man i just had to do it and because i've really had a couple of years of experience of growing mushrooms i i started the business just just out from my home i just was giving mushroom cultivation workshops and yeah, it was really fun. I met a lot of people and mushrooms being mushrooms, you can't really place them, right? They're like neither animals nor plants. And I was attracting the weirdos, man. I was attracting the weirdos and it was awesome. It was really awesome. And then freaking COVID hit. COVID hit and I got hit hard because I, I couldn't give workshops from home anymore. I was like, panic mode what do i do now what do i do now shift my business online (laughs) and then i realized damn it man i got nothing to sell (laughs) and when you don't have um when you you, when you if you don't make money in singapore it's 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 tough to survive so then i started making grow kids (laughs) 
Yeah, hanging, that was little... a huge business. <laughs> During COVID, that was a huge business, yeah. Yeah, right. So so that that kind of supported the the business and led on to, to other things. And then I had to find a commercial space, a small, humble commercial space, managed to find one and and set up the operations and like this was just last October. So I took about three months just to set things up. Man, dude, like, look, I'm just going to be very honest, right? Like, I met so many fucking assholes, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, mushrooms Mushrooms are like a big thing now, right? Everyone wants a slice of the pie, you know? Like, for me, I don't right. really give a shit. I just want to grow mushrooms. I just, I'm, I'm in love with the process, right? But all these other people were not. They, they, they are not in love with mushrooms. They just want to make money out of mushrooms and... And yeah, that that pissed me off. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually a really sharing guy by nature. I'm just collaborative, you know. But running Bewilder has taught me to actually hold myself back. And is this is it is a dilemma, right? Like I I I battle with this every single day. You know, like how much do I share? How much do I share? How much do I hold back? I've heard this before from cultivators in the U.S. People, even people who kind of focus on making exotic cultures and all that kind of thing. It's this idea of, yeah, how much do you share? I mean, we all want to think we're all part of this big mycology family and we can just share everything with everyone, open source everything. It'll, you know, rising tide raises all ships. But the fact is that there's this fundamental equation in human relationships where when one person's just giving, giving, giving and not getting anything back and it's not being received with kind of the gratitude and everything that that we all know our conscience tells us is how we should kind of treat someone who's sharing so openly. So when that's not happening and someone's giving, giving and not getting back, you got to cut it off like for your own good. And that's something that's really hard for kind of open-hearted empathic people to learn. It's like, actually, I can't give until I have nothing left if no one's doing the same thing around me. Yeah, yeah man, it's, it's, it's tiring, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I could be really, really passionate. I am really passionate, but passion only gets that far, you know, like, I think not having that community in Singapore has been a little bit challenging. <laughs> in the US, you know, I think it's like maybe five levels ahead. You get people who ca- who are clearly competitive, right? It's a capitalistic world, but you also have communities of people coming together to, to just share, yeah, for free, you know? Education should be for free, but in Singapore, I got I have to charge money, man. I have to I have to charge money, just in order for myself to survive, and it just gets it just gets more and more complicated because recently I had to hire some people to help grow the business, and and now I have to I have to make money for for the employees. <laughs> so how much? Then comes the question. Comes the question of how much. Am I willing to bend over backwards to get this amount of money? And I think so far I've been quite lucky. That's the one of the, the, the pros of being possibly the the only person doing what I'm doing here. Is that right? Is that there are there are many opportunities. <laughs> there are many opportunities and, and and thanks to certain documentaries like Fantastic Fungi, uh has really brought uh, mushrooms to the forefront of mainstream consciousness. And and yeah, and I'm, I think I just have happened to be at the right place at the right time now, and I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be able to to be here now. Well, you know, you stick with something like that, 
you could see, I mean, the fact that you fell in love with this organism, you could see that this is going to change everything. I think so many people, when we start to really understand mushrooms and fungi, we get into some of the novel uses, even outside of food. But when we're talking about materials and you're talking about remediating environments, first thing everyone thinks is, oh, this is the future. This is going to change everything once we really know how to use these organisms. So yeah, the fact that you were able to stick with it despite not everything lining up perfectly. I mean, it's funny. It's the story of a lot of different entrepreneurial ventures is you're kind of the lone man, the lone ranger kind of seeing the vision that maybe other people aren't seeing. You got to hold the vision and keep coming. And then eventually your time comes, the culture catches up with you. And I think, yeah, in the case of mushrooms, like there's going to be a tidal wave and you're going to be in the, definitely, definitely in the right, in the right space at the right time. And I'm curious when you're talking about people who like, I don't know. I don't know what we want to call it, but kind of vultures or people that didn't have the right <laughs> intentions coming into this. Are these other companies popping up or are these people talking about starting companies or kind of where do these creatures come from? <laughs> they come from every nook and cranny, man. They just come up when they smell <laughs> the opportunity to make money. They just want to, they just want in, you know, <laughs> um, we, there are, there are startups. There are people who talk about it. There are institutions who, who, try to find out information from me. I mean, I'm, hey, man, I'm sharing, you know, like you just got to come from the right place. And the problem is that people are just not honest enough and, and that, that throws me off, right? And that makes me want to put up a wall. But damn it, mushrooms are not meant to be placed in petri dishes. <laughs> well, and I think you're going to find those quote-unquote weirdos that were coming to the classes, all the like mushroom people are going to coalesce into some kind of community like that happened in the united states in the past 10 years it's been insane that was i was part of that new wave of people that got really interested and all these communities started coming together you get big social media accounts that end up being a place of kind of community organization we kind of gather around uh, so I, I have a feeling that'll happen there so I guess just to define the business what are kind of the pillars then of bewilder because we've talked about the community outreach COVID, of course, axes that a little bit. So then you move into grow kits. What are some of the other projects that you hope to achieve uh, with Bewilder? Yeah, one of the main trajectories would be working with uh, microcomposite materials. So currently, the very small team, we have been, not so much me, I'm trying to grow the business now. Uh, but the, the team is really doing a lot of prototyping, um, just coming up with table lamps and and soon to soon uh, furniture and i think this just gives access points to the the true applications of micro composite materials which is really to to build to make insulation panels and to freaking build buildings man out of out of mushrooms <laughs> yeah food food is great you know uh, singapore is really really big about food security now because we just don't produce enough of our own food so everyone is jumping on a on a food and tech bandwagon, right? Because there's a lot of money being put into that. You know, but at the end of the day, when it comes to survival, people will just eat anything. <laughs> people will eat anything, <laughs> right? But everyone needs shelter. And I think the way forward is really in sustainable building. We need to look at ways to to help um to help ourselves, man. Like we just need to all of us need to do our little little bit to to survive. I mean it's great that, that people are looking to go to Mars. <laughs> but I think we need to try to fix the problems here first before somewhere else up. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. If we don't fix the problems we made on this planet, there's no way going to another one is going to be, is going to save us. 
And it, basic question, what kind of species are you guys working with? And if for the fungi materials, you don't want to reveal, you know, I'll respect any proprietary stuff there. But when it comes to food or grow kits or classes, or as much as you do want to share about materials, what species are you guys working with? Well, I love green Ganoderma. Um, shout out, shout out to, to Ryan, Ryan Gates, terrestrial fungi. What's up, my bro? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, man, I, I, I love to grow Ganoderma. We've got like maybe 20 different species, several different strains per, per species. Um, we get a lot of Ganoderma here. So whenever I have time, go out to the forests. This, by the way, this, I should, probably shouldn't mention this because it's illegal to pick anything from the ground in Singapore. It all belongs to It's illegal to, the to pick anything from the ground. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so picking mushrooms, totally illegal everywhere? Yeah. Uh, well, I think people just close one eye. The authorities close one eye. But legally, we are just not allowed to pick anything from the ground. So even fruit trees that the government has planted uh, along certain roads in Singapore, we're not allowed to pick the fruits, man. It's... Talk about no. Talk about lacking connection with nature. <laughs> Can't even pick anything up off the ground. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's an irony, you know. Like Singapore paints itself as this green city, right? trying to move towards being sustainable, closed-loop systems, blah, 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 blah. But it's just really manicured, you know, the in, in the forest, you know, when, when trees fall after heavy rainfalls or, or, or heavy winds, it's not, it's not the mushrooms that come in first, man. It's freaking national parks, you know, because someone's going to call, some member of public is going to call them to ask them to remove this obstacle that's blocking their path, you know, and... There are even people who like freaking write into to newspaper, to the national newspaper to complain about pebbles on a footpath in the forest. So it's it's almost a joke. It's a running joke because when I when that's I, crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. When I go in the forest, I see I see like foreign workers sweeping the forest, and I'll be like, hey, dude, you know, what's it? What does it feel like sweeping leaves up in the forest? I mean, like. It's just so weird. <laughs> I mean, that's a new level of insanity. Like, come on, we're we're sweeping. We're gonna vacuum the forest. Like, wow. Okay, so that's a good backdrop for us to have. So we talked about that connection with nature. You're like, yeah, we don't have a great connection with nature. Like, no, like we're not allowed to go into touch nature, really. Yeah, we want to paint this picture, you know, but we are not in the picture. We're just outsiders viewing this pretty picture right but man yeah we, we are humans you know we need we need to be a part of the landscape not just watching it from afar when you watch it from afar you, you never be a part of the landscape and because of that you shouldn't even be talking about making that connection you know it's it's injustice if you want to yeah. if you want to talk about that you got to put put your money where your mouth is right that gets me heated up because it's just a lot of bullshit man well, and it makes it hard if you want to talk about finding mushrooms or, you know, especially like fungal materials. You know, a lot of people love to source local strains. Like if there was some Ganoderma, you could find local. You know, so what's that been like? Because you love Ganoderma. I mean, have you found other labs to work with, people with great cultures? Yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I've traded cultures with Ryan. Thank you so much, dude. Your your cultures are being put to good use here. Ryan's the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't sell your cultures. No worries. You know, I do I do go out to try to look for for suitable mushrooms to grow micro materials with. Um, we found some, and it's yeah, like trematis. We got like 
it looks a traumatis over here, you know, and they make for really good species to work with and working with native native strains, right? It's makes so much sense because when I try to grow say Ganoderma multipilium on the way substrates in Singapore, they just don't grow as fast as say turkey tails in Singapore, you know, it's it just right. makes so much so much sense. They just grow so much faster and when, when it's so much faster, you know, Singapore is just a really, really small city, so space is a premium. So when things grow fast, we actually use less space and it's, hey, it works out, right? And yeah, it should be explored, but I can't legally exploit that much because I don't have the licenses to pick mushrooms. <laughs> it's not that easy to get a license. I know like some, some institutions do, do have that. And yeah, but these guys are not fruiting mushrooms, you know, they are not really pushing things to a commercial level and... And that's where the money is, right? Like all this money goes to institutions and they get to play around, they get the, the top talents. But none of these ever see, none of these projects really ever see the light of day. And, and I'm like, hey man, why are you doing the money? Give it to me, give it to me, you know? <laughs> or let the citizen scientists breathe, man. I mean, that community here is what's pushed mycology forward, especially when we talk about applied mycology, making materials, I mean, even cultivation techniques. So much of that's pushed by citizen science. So... Yeah, I mean, you got to make a space for Tiet to grow and expand and explore, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, not just for me, but for, for citizens. For everyone, yeah. Yeah, right. Because when, well, people who are like researchers for for A-Star, for example, in Singapore, the, it's people who are following this very straight path in life, you know, so they don't really, in my opinion, I think people on the ground definitely have a much broader perspective of things. So these people, people on the ground really have, can add value to, to that. You know, we can actually freaking grow mushrooms, for example. And it should be explored because people from different uh, backgrounds do have different perspectives. And it's important to, to see all these different perspectives, right? Because we're actually we're just looking at the same thing. We, we cannot just say, hey, just because you studied science, then you are, you have the, the capacity and, and uh, opportunity to, to do this. But what about, what about, you know, people who collect cardboard, you know, like, could they not grow medicinal mushrooms from, from the cardboard to make extra cash to, in order to survive? They can and they should, right? Not just the, the top scientists. And there's so many unknowns in this field. It really is about having more people trying things, more people asking questions. There's like an unlimited, there's a biological infinity, it seems like with all the different species, all the different applications, all the different test cases, it's gonna take more than the institution. That's when I talk to folks who work at universities here in the US, mycologists and scientists, they've gotten to the point where they see citizen scientists and community scientists as really the next level of exploring these mycological questions because it's just manpower and brains and creativity. I mean, whether you're looking at biodiversity or specialized cultivation or new applications, so much of that is going to come from, you know, people who aren't necessarily at an institution. So yeah, it's going to be really important for that arm of mycological exploration to get lifted up. Yeah, I, I think I think um, one of the things that mushrooms taught me is really the fact that we are all connected, right? In, all interconnected to form this bigger consciousness. And I think it's really just tapping into that larger consciousness. And that's that's everybody else, right? In order to, to fulfill this this big picture. 
we shouldn't just cut things up and 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 go down a very specific specialized thing i think we should look at look at things from from a much bigger perspective and that's where the the general population comes in we yeah. need to to listen and not so much talk down and and that's that's in singapore that's that's what i get most of the time man like really people just talk down to me <laughs> It's fucking annoying, but you know it's it's okay. It gives me it gives me the drive to just do even cooler shit. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, having success and doing some things that aren't being done anywhere else, I mean, it's gonna have to start changing people's perspective eventually. When you're making buildings out of mycelium, or even the lamps, you know, my wife and I were just staring at all the different lampshades that you guys make, and I want so many. Like, I want all my lamps in my house to have your guys' lampshades on it. I guess, has there been a response like that? Have you seen people get pulled into the mycological world? They kind of like wake up out of the robotic state and you're like, hey, look at the, and they're like, oh, what are these organisms? Yeah, for sure. I think I think one of the, the goals of Bewilder is really to shake things up in Singapore, you know, and to just to have that different perspective, right? So so definitely I've met, I've met people who never really understood mushrooms to begin with but then when they step into the studio they see they see this this lampshade and they're like what is this thing man and i'm like this well it's it's mushroom it's mycelium you know right? we create on waste materials and and then you can have this in your house it's really just uh well to grow to grow lambs and all that it's really can seem a bit superficial i think but it is a way it's an entry point to talk about greater things and singapore being singapore is really quite far behind time <laughs> in my opinion so so i have to to do this to to stir things up first to get to garner attention to create that awareness in order to push my agenda which is to my secret agenda which is to to let mushrooms take over singapore man i want i want <laughs> i want to see like some structural work you know uh with mushrooms so that's that's something that I, i'm actively trying to push for trying to get more projects more cool projects that can uh, help to make this happen and i think i think we're quite lucky to be able to to uh, in the near future to be able to do some of these things so yeah i think i think it's working out i think i've been uh, able to attract some attention in singapore and it's it's great you know I, I i know i've been talking about like people who talk down to me and all that but it's not all bad i also meet some really freaking amazing people and in, in singapore you know they are they are around you just got to get them to get out of their houses <laughs> <laughs> so not so secret mission to inoculate Singapore and turn everyone into mushroom lovers. You've got some other <laughs> dynamics there, I think, you know, with a focus on sustainability. I'm sure, you know, if it's anything like even the US, when you have a situation like COVID happen, suddenly everyone realizes how all this complex systems we rely on are really fragile and we need to be at, you know, as self-sufficient as possible. So you have that dynamic, maybe people focusing on that. And then because it is a really affluent city-state, I mean, once you start showing people the potential, hopefully there could be this idea of influx of capital, you know, with all of the issues and strings that that might bring with it. Uh, but I think, yeah, I, got, I think you got some really exciting dynamics uh, in your favor. Oh, cheers, man. I, I didn't really think of it that way before, but yeah. Well, and the other part of this thing is, yeah, you're growing mushrooms for food. I mean, you're doing grow kits, you're doing materials. Yeah, I mean, what kind of mushrooms are you growing for food? Are you selling to restaurants? Are you selling to people? What's that part of Bewilder look like? Kind of bleak. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, 
I'm not a farmer, okay? So, like, I, I put I put farmers on a pedestal and I kind of hate this urban farming thing that's happening in Singapore now. It's everyone just trying to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm a I'm an urban farmer. I'm doing I'm doing this and this. I'm doing good for Singapore. But a lot of it is bullshit still. People just want to sell stories, man. Like, dude, it's the reality of it here, right? Yeah, it's um, given us the real. <laughs> like, here's the real what's going on. Because, yeah, I like, I like the urban farmer and the little, like, poster they put up. And that sounds cool to yeah. me. But you're giving us the real of what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a farmer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I would like to be able to um, set up a small-scale farm just to, to grow certain mushrooms that um, Singaporeans may not have access to because the farms in Singapore, the mushroom farms in Singapore are not real farms in my opinion. They they just import in all these bags from from around the region, right? And and because of that, they are very limited by the number of species that they, they grow. So I want to be able to be that platform to to provide that alternative. So growing just just simple stuff you know like lion's mane we don't even have lion's mane in singapore like it's really popular it's been gaining in popularity vegetarian restaurants starting to look into mushroom dishes and lion's mane mushrooms come up quite often but these these mushrooms are just imported in frozen mushrooms right and then they get thawed out and then put into curries or whatever but these are not fresh mushrooms. You know, fresh mushrooms just taste totally different, right? So, yeah. So yeah. So just pushing out mushrooms like lion's mane, so yanagi mushrooms, and different kinds of oysters. You got to have staples. But growing oysters well is a huge challenge, right? So I think I've been like trying to grow these mushrooms well and just presenting them to to chefs to say, hey, you know, buy buy from us, <laughs> buy from us because. <laughs> We we give you like the best mushrooms, you know, the the best yields, the, the best tasting mushrooms, the the freshest mushrooms. We pick them at the prime, and longer shelf life, things like that, and and then that opens up this whole new arena for for chefs. Suddenly, they can they can start trying out their own R and D with 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 different mushrooms to elucidate different tastes, different different flavor profiles, right? And and working with native species as well. So I've been. I've been going out collecting mushrooms illegally, <laughs> growing them out and, and presenting them to chefs to say, hey, you know, like we can start looking at, at mushrooms that, that actually grow here. And we should because they grow here. And, and you what, can make what a up. concept. Yeah. <laughs> like forage cuisine is just so big everywhere else. And yeah, you guys have terrific mushrooms. So, yeah. It's a it's a logical thing, right? But but right. it's it spun into this story as well. You know, you, you have like people going on forages to collect this and collect that. But hey, man, it's just looking for food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no need to romanticize all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really great at telling stories, man. <laughs> I get it. You know, I get it. You have to tell stories. You know, to sell certain things. You know, I get it. But if your hands are not able to match up with your ideas, then there is, there is that disconnection, you know. And for me, I've always been ground up, you know, underground up, man. I start from started from a freaking toilet, <laughs> literally my CM underground. And now's my time, you know. Now's my time. I'm kind of fruiting now. But hey, being underground has its benefits. You really learn. You got to learn everything. You got to learn everything. And then when you learn everything, you really understand how things work. So I don't just sell stories. I I tell stories of what actually happened what actually went down you know and yeah 
and this authenticity, I think, I think, is what attracts people in Singapore. I think I'm just a really, really honest person, and and I and that's one of the the core principles of Bewilder is to be a hundred percent honest. Of course, there are some some information that are commercially sensitive, but I, I would never lie. I would say you know that's a commercially sensitive piece of Im- information that I'm not able to share right now. But at the end of the day, we uh, we should try to be good human beings. And mushrooms actually really help, help me with that, right? Like just the fact that we got to be balanced, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, the you know, just just basic stuff like growing mycelium on on substrate on sawdust. If the sawdust is too wet, it's not gonna grow. If it's too dry, the mycelium isn't gonna grow too. And that takes time to to really understand the materials that you work with and the organic the different species that you work with. And yeah, life in Singapore is just so fast-paced, man. Like, we're just constantly on the move. What am I going to do next? I'm just going to eat as fast as possible, shit as fast as possible, pee as fast as possible in order to make more money, in order to survive. But life isn't about that. It's about sometimes... And, I, and I'm, you know, I fall into that trap sometimes. But I always try to remind myself, like, you know, in, to be a good human being, you, you have to step out of your own head and to... To spend time, just just spend time, you know, like going to the forest, right? Like, and I had made this mistake, like when I go to the forest, I'm like always walking, like oh, I'm gonna find this, find that, you know. But, but I catch myself, <laughs> I catch myself and go, hey, you know, like get just slow down, you know, just sit down. And when I sit down and I spend time to be a part of that landscape, it's amazing. Nature is just all encompassing, just everywhere, you know. That things are everywhere. It's you just have to spend time to observe, and then when you are able to do that, man, it's there are life lessons to be learned every single moment, right? <laughs> and when I get that, I just want to, I just want to share with people. I just want to share with people. Yeah, it's not really about mushrooms, dude. It's just about being at one with nature. We are part of this. We cannot see ourselves as separate, and that's the thing with our egos. We always think that we are just greater. As a species, you know, we want to do this and do that, but at what expense, right? I think I think we really need to keep ourselves in check and and be humble, you know, be humble and say and to understand that that we are part of this ecosystem and we cannot take this for granted. We are not better. We are just a part of. And it's to our detriment that we lose that connection or that ability to slow down and we go way too out of balance and it just so happens and i always tell people that mushrooms are just the thing that seem to be the most effective at like reminding people of that they kind of snap you out of it say hey have you gone and sat in a forest you know you like you need to get this connection back because we're all kind of going way too far way too far in this direction of efficiency and producing and making money and all these are man-made structures in this game we're playing but there's the other part like you're a human being who is part of this of nature. So you got to be able to connect with that as well as all the man-made. And yeah, I mean, you said the key words, authenticity, balance. That's really what it's about. And that seems to be like your ethos in just talking to you and just in everything you do is about being authentic, having that balance. And, you know, if you do that, it's funny because if you do that, if you find that balance and if you make that connection with nature, it kind of makes you better in, you know, whatever workplace you're going back into. And we're also starting to figure that out. It's like, wow, we, I mean, I don't want to say get more done, but you're kind of 
more uh, smarter in how you work and you're better in interacting with people if you kind of keep these things in balance and stay connected with nature. And mushrooms are the perfect reminder to do that. Yeah. I guess then we talked about some of the struggles you've come up against, just cultural directions, the struggle of every entrepreneur, which is money and making sure you can pay yourself and your employees. But maybe what was something that you learned about starting this that you didn't think you'd have to learn? And there might be like a million things. But when you were starting this venture, what was something that hit you that was like, I didn't think I'd have to learn to do this? Or this was like an unexpected skill that I had to that I had to bring on board? Um, I think running a business. <laughs> Just actually making a business. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually been quite great. You know, like I've always thought that running a business would probably be quite easy. But man, it's totally not. And managing uh, well myself and, and people, I think that's been quite uh, enlightening because you have to motivate oneself, right? I got to motivate myself. I got to motivate the employees. Right? And just making sure that people are happy. I think, I think now I'm going through the process of building a team and, and suddenly it's not just about what I want to do for Bewilder. It's about what people, other people can, how other people can add value to Bewilder. Because I think I've built myself to be the face of Bewilder in Singapore. Um, but I, I think I want that to change, you know. I don't want to buy more pairs of sunglasses anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so people keep recognizing you on the street, yeah. Yeah, no, Singapore is too small for that. Uh, but, but really, it's about um, people having different perspectives in life and adding that to grow, to grow as an entity and to share these different viewpoints and, and to say it's okay to have, like, we can have different opinions you know it's it's fine and we can agree to disagree but but we should not just be entirely agreeable just for the sake of being agreeable and i think yeah i think bewilder is really it's become clearer now that we are just here to shake things up in a cool way <laughs> well and there's this point it feels like with every like new business or entrepreneurial venture where kiet started it this was your baby you made it you put all your energy into it and then opening that up to other people, putting their energy into it, and it might like change. It definitely will expand, but that's always a, a nerve-wracking part of any startup or business venture. Is like when you start, yeah, bringing other people. What skills can they bring to the table? And then what does this look like without you know? It's it's no longer Kiet's baby. Like it's a fully grown <laughs> thing out there. You know what does that look like? And just having the the confidence. And part of that is. You have to learn how to discern and judge people and make sure that these are the right people and that then you can really kind of let go and say, okay, I'm going to have faith that whatever is going to, this is going to turn into is going to be kind of the right thing. And, and then you're just part of a greater team. Like that's, that's a big moment. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you hit the nail right on the forehead. It's really about learning to relinquish the control because, and that's what mushrooms teach us as well, right? There's only that certain amount of control that you can, you can do, but when the mushrooms run and fruit, they just fruit, you know, it's going to come up right. through the filter patch or something, right? You forget about it and then boom, damn, there's a freaking mushroom in the lab. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, like it's been quite interesting for me personally, because Bewilder is my baby. But I'm starting to also understand the fact that it's not about me. <laughs> it's about the bigger picture, doing this greater 
greater good, you know. I'm not I'm not I'm not a saint, right? Like <laughs> I know I talk about being finding the balance. I, I, I struggle all the time. I'm quite an extreme person. <laughs> but but yeah, it's for bewilder it's really about learning to let go and and that's quite funny, right? Because when you talk about like the psychedelic experience, it's really about bettering the ego to to understand that that there is this something else that that we have access to all the time, but we just lost that awareness and making that, that reconnection to, to this greater consciousness. And when this happens, like magic happens, you know, everything happens for a reason. There's no question about it. So then having faith, that's what it comes down to, you know, I, I just have faith that it's going to work. I go with the flow, man, like, you know, bewilder. Uh, we do have core principles, but at, at the end of the day, it's modeled after how mushrooms grow. We are opportunistic. We have to be opportunistic in this world, and but we are also very adaptable. I think, I think, um, like when COVID hit, right? I just had to do certain things. It's just a very natural thing. I think, um, yeah. So if I if I follow this model, right, of being adaptable and being opportunistic, and and but staying to builders, uh, core principles, the ethos, then then. How would this feel? Yeah. Well, what a relief, right? Like it's not all on you. It's not, you don't have to control it all. Yeah. I always think about that when we learn to relinquish control and like you still get to put your energy and help act and kind of move things with that flow. But man, what a relief that you don't have to control it all and that it's still going to work out okay. I mean, <laughs> there's something beautiful about that, that letting go that so many of us learn from mushrooms and something else I'm struck by. And this, I think gets to kind of another ethos, just probably to your core and, and to bewilder. But for you, how much of mushroom cultivation, because we talked about it kind of in a scientific sense and you guys getting a commercial facility, but how much of this is still art for you? You know, how is cultivating mushrooms still kind of like a, an art form, maybe an art and a science? Yeah, it's, it's always been a, a culmination point between art and science for me. I mean, well, I, I had to learn science the hard way because I, I was always from the, I was from the arts, you know. But yeah, there's, there is an art to science and there is a science to art. And I think it's, yeah, we shouldn't really like categorize things in, in such a way. It's just too polarizing, you know. I don't, what about what about the grace? What about the in betweens, right? And it's <laughs> yeah. So there is a a huge part of of art to to growing mushrooms. It's you can follow a formulation, but no two person is going to be able to grow a mushroom the same way. And it's also because of that communication between the organism, right? Like you can follow formulations, right? You, when you put in ten bags, some are going to fruit earlier than the others, <laughs> right? There's a whole other organism making decisions, and it's part of this thing too. So. Yeah, very, very humbling. It's always, I always learn something new and that's that's really one of the things that keep me going, you know, because I just get bored so easily. But when it comes to growing mushrooms, man, like there's always something you learn. There's, and you know, I, I love making mistakes. I, I, I really, really want people to make mistakes, you know, when, when the new employee comes here, I'm like, you know, just go and figure that shit out yourself, man. It's okay to make mistakes because... <laughs> When you make mistakes, man, we can learn so much from it, you know. I can learn so much from it personally and, and most of our minimum viable products are, have come from mistakes. <laughs> and, and you know, when, when you're put into a system where you're not allowed to make mistakes, where everything just has to be a success, 
then that, that just limits everything else, you know. And that's why I think Bewilder in Singapore, Bewilder is is able to have this traction when it comes to, to growing mushrooms. Even at a very basic level, it's because we allow ourselves to make mistakes. And mistakes are not mistakes, right? Like, what is success and what is failure? At the end of the day, it's just, man, we got to play, you know? Like, we've forgotten yeah. how to play. I'm like, 41? Shit, I'm 41 this year. <laughs> you know, but I try to remind myself that it's important to play. Absolutely. This gives us so much insight into who you are, too, to where, you know, you're empowering employees to go, figure things out, make mistakes. Because otherwise, if it's all about just achieving a certain goal, then you're always just going to get that goal. You're never going to get anything else. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful perspective to uh, to take on board. And I guess you talked about the products, you know, just that quick overview where, you know, where are you selling products right now? And what are the products that you guys sell? Because I'm hoping I can buy one of these lampshades in the US. I have a feeling you might not ship here. But yeah, what are the products you sell? and Where do you sell them? I'm going to I'm going to send you one, dude. <laughs> oh, my I would be that would be like my most prized possession. My wife will lose it. <laughs> I'll send one to you and one to Shakti, man. <laughs> Too much, man. Too kind. Too kind. Hey, happy to share. Happy to share. Um, we're not really selling the the lambs yet. We're we're just kind of waiting for the right time to mushroom. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully quite soon. Maybe maybe the at the end of hopefully by the end of this month. If not, then the next month. Uh, yeah, we we, we want to push out uh, this line of um micro lambs. So starting with small stuff, cause small is cute, right? Uh, yeah, and 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 then setting up a, a small scale farm. That's that's kind of in the works now to to supply some restaurants, and then there's the the educational thing. So we we're still running workshops. We're still trying to reach out to more people. Yeah, um, Bewilder is like kind of baby baby stage, early stage. A lot of the different arms are still so there's like maybe six different arms that we're trying to that we're exploring and they're all in the early stages. I mean I think I'm quite confident in, in producing edible mushrooms to supply restaurants. But yeah, I mean for everything else it's just early stages. I we do have some prototypes out already, but I think I don't really want to speak too much about that until it really happens sure. because sometimes when you speak about it prematurely it kind of kills the project you know <laughs> uh, that's yeah that's true you sometimes let the cat out of the bag too early they can bring it to an end um i mean you make your own spawn substrate fruit you're kind of doing the whole chain right yeah that's that's me trying to be ambitious right trying to do maybe it's a lot yeah and too many and things you still keep a culture library as well that you're kind of expanding out and keeping a culture library man that's a lot of just, I know we all know those are the basics of mushroom cultivation is cultures, then growing it on a spawn, growing it on a substrate and fruiting it. But those are like four different industries, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. So also, I guess over time, I'm also starting to, to learn to be a little bit more focused. But to start off with, it was just an ambitious thing. I just wanted to do all of it. And then, but now about a year has passed since Bewilder has incorporated. And I think I just, well, over a year now. And yeah, I'm I'm just trying starting to see like what which parts um can really take off can can really um be commercialized in order to to create that impact in Singapore society, and of course some things may not work out that well, and then that has to take the back seat. So supplying cultures and this and that, it's I don't get much sales from that, you know. To be honest, I'm just make very very small small sales to to people who just want to. 
to muck around, you know. But yeah, it's not it's not the focus. It's it's a lot of work, and and I just need to cut back on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point maybe it's kind of like a community service for people in Singapore who want to start getting into mycology, and there might not be a great place to get cultures. But just thinking about this, I think I know that the project that's going to make the biggest impact in Singaporean society will probably be a mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to be some mistake that turns <laughs> into something amazing. So you got to try it all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to screw up, man. <laughs> looking forward to more mistakes. And where can people find you? Where can people find Bewilder? You know, give us the social medias, the websites. We'll put all the links to, but where are the best places for people to find more about the project and connect with you, you know, share knowledge, all that, because the States has such a vibrant mycophile community. Yeah, I think I'm most active on, I, I'm still handling the account, the, the Instagram account, so not so active on Facebook anymore. Facebook is the new MySpace, man. It's dead. <laughs> for, Truth. For me. <laughs> Truth. I, I haven't been on that thing in years. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but but my, my handle is uh, BewilderSG. So at BewilderSG, you can, you, can, you can drop me a line on Instagram. Happy to, happy to connect with brothers and sisters from around the world. And the website, www.bewildersg.com. Yeah, just that's, that's basically it. I don't do a lot of active marketing. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay focused to, to get the work done. But yeah, yeah, I'm, like more, more and more people are interested in mushrooms and I'm just really happy to share. Just really happy to share. So if you want to have a conversation, just, just drop me a line, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And definitely everyone go follow the page, go check it out because there is some beautiful... There's some beautiful things happening that we all should be connecting with. And I guess, are there any other, I mean, we've talked about some pretty big future plans, making buildings out of mycelium, feeding people, turning all of Singapore into like a mushroom mecca. But are there any other plans for you? I mean, maybe with the company or any other projects or even, you know, anything on the horizon personally that you want to share kind of future plans and projects? Yeah, uh, one of the, the things that are pretty exciting right now for, for me personally is that we are kind of about to start a, a permaculture garden. Yay! Nice! So, we all love a so permaculture and, garden. Yeah, and, and integrating mushrooms into it because we don't have uh, people doing any outdoor farming with mushrooms. Just growing mushrooms in outdoor setting is really, really challenging because of our climate. But definitely not impossible. So so it's a it's kind of like a test bit project for me to see if I can grow certain edible and medicinal mushrooms in a garden setting, right? And then and then that suddenly opens up a whole new avenue for people. It's not just about growing veggies and plants anymore. It's about having fungi as part of that that system, that ecosystem. You know, so we shouldn't. You know, so in in Singapore, people like to talk about closed loop systems, right? And I think. Mushrooms really can help to close the loop. It's the interconnecting nodes. You know, when you have waste substrates coming from agricultural waste coming from the gardens, we actually can use that to grow mushrooms, to grow more food. You know, like it's in this region, like people grow rice, you know, but not in Singapore, but say in, in Thailand, Malaysia, people grow rice, but they just throw the, the rice straw away. You know, they just burn it. They just let, let it go to shit. When, when you can actually double your profits, you know, you can, farmers can actually make more money. And they should make more money because they are amazing, noble people, right? Growing food for people is quite noble. But yeah, I think I think it's very, very unexplored. I think I'm really happy to have had this uh, indoor cultivation experience. But now 
I want to try more low-tech ways. I want to move out to the great outdoors to to start making that connection between everything else and mushrooms. I, I just felt that I had to go learn the seemingly more difficult way, which is to grow mushrooms in, in a lab first and then blah, blah, right. blah. But at the end of the day, it's really just to inform myself of the the great many parameters that might that might go wrong in the great outdoors, right? Because if you can't discern what, what causes the mushroom to look a certain way, then then you will never know how to make it work outdoors. Well, I think when we talk about any kind of sustainable or closed-loop system, you got to include all the kingdoms of life. So hopefully you'll be able to kind of, with that project, kind of move people's perception of like, yeah, you want closed loop? It's people, plants, but also fungi, bacteria in the soil. Like this is the real loop that we have to be working with. So that's really exciting. And, you know, something that I just can't let go of is this idea that you're not allowed to necessarily pick mushrooms. And I'm sure there are some incredible mushrooms in Singapore. You know, maybe if you can, I, I always ask people the question of like, give us a mushroom you love and why? But I'm going to kind of narrow you down and force you to give us a couple mushrooms in Singapore that we might not know about that you really love. And this can be like edible or glowing or, you know, whatever it is, but just some mushrooms in Singapore that you love. Yeah, I can I can name two off the top of my head. One is a reishi mushroom, uh, Ganoderma weberianum. I, I love this mushroom so much. Just love the way it looks. Just love the way it tastes. And it's found right here, you know, and it's just such an easy grower you don't have to do too much to it it's oh, any kind of substrate easily it's just a great mushroom to work with and and yeah the as i think you've mentioned it a couple of times already the bioluminescent mushrooms so we managed to fruit um, a phyllo phyllobolitus manipularis so that's that's going to be pushed out maybe um, a couple of months time as a as a kind of a grow kit that is interesting, right? Because when you can fruit a bioluminescent mushroom easily at home, then that creates conversational topics and just more, more and more awareness. And recently, I've managed to get hold of a Mycena chlorophos culture, just from a single mushroom. <laughs> managed to find one single mushroom, got the spores, and and then have the culture now. So I'm going to fruit it soon, I hope. And yeah, I think bioluminescent mushrooms are great talking points and. And they're just so beautiful to look at, you know. And I've only had, uh, I've only read one journal that 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 says that uh, Phyllobolitus is edible. <laughs> um, so don't really dare to eat it yet. <laughs> Not gonna try it. Yeah, but if it is, if if it is um, truly edible, then then that opens up a whole new avenue, I think, because restaurants will be really really interested in that, because then it becomes an, a dining experience. Oh, a glowing mushroom you could eat? Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's next level. And anyone who sees glowing mushrooms, the first thing we all think is, I need one of those. So, hey, maybe that'll be it. Maybe every Singaporean will have a Phyllobenitis manipularis in their home. <laughs> and that'll be that'll be like the sign the bewilder has taken over. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Man, that's the future I'm hoping for. We'll make it real. We'll make it real. <laughs> well, Kiet, um, you know, thank you for giving us those mushrooms. Those are some awesome ones to research and i really hope you do start getting those into grow kits because there's pinellas stipticus and a couple others that people have fruited here with success but nothing that feels like really attainable for every single grower so that would be really that would be really game changing kind of another big thought then is what has the relationship that you've developed with fungi really given to you and maybe this is something you've already 
told us, I mean, we've kind of talked about this throughout, but if you could put it into, into words, because I know a lot of it defies language sometimes, but you know, what is this relationship with fungal organisms given to you? Um, I think, I think the biggest takeaway is that I am interconnected with everything else. Like sometimes it may seem like, for example, just speaking with you, right? Like you're on the other side of the, of the globe. But but we are connected, you know, we are we are interconnected by the internet, the internet, the mycelial network. <laughs> and and yeah, I think like learning over time to see that we are not separate. The tree in front of me right now is connected to me in ways unimaginable. And on this tree, you know, there are there are bugs, there are birds. And and someone who might be cutting the tree down because it's getting in the way, it's getting a bit too big for Singapore. Oh no! But yeah, it's it's that interconnectivity. I think that's the biggest takeaway. And and also, I think it's been mentioned a few times already. Uh, by bears repeating. Uh, which is finding the balance in ourselves firstly, before trying to any greater good. I think we need to look at ourselves, and that's that's what growing mushrooms really taught me. You know, like. It's, kind of just told me to shut the hell up and look at yourself first. Keep yourself at, in check. Um, make sure that your your moral compass is, is aligned with what you want to do and make sure that you're comfortable doing it and make sure that I am happy doing this. And I think this is one of the, the bigger takeaways very recently. And that is that if if I become happy as a at peace as a as a person then I would attract all these other people who are the same. And, and then and then when you have this connection with, with these like-minded people, that's where communities actually happen in a very organic way. Because I think that's the other thing about Singapore. We always talk about building communities and all that. But, but I feel that communities just build them by themselves. Uh, and we need to allow the space for that to happen. And space being a premium in Singapore, then we really should look at space within ourselves rather than externally. And then when, when I do that, it's, yeah, it just, things just become more evident, right? It's almost like a meditation. You, you, I start to see that this interconnectivity, this part of being that one, oneness, you know, and it's not just being in Singapore. It's, it's everything, man. It's everything. It's everything. I mean, that's insanely powerful and a great reminder for all of us that that really is. I mean, you're bringing up concepts of like self-organizing communities, which I'm such a big believer in. We don't need a giant institution to tell us how to organize. It starts within. And I love that, that inner space is kind of holding the space to draw community to you. You know, I don't know if you want to call that the law of attraction or manifestation, or just maybe this is just the science of how communities work. Maybe it's just like a social science Man, that yeah. is powerful. And then, hey, once we're whole and complete unto ourselves, imagine a culture or, you know, imagine a country full of people like that. And then imagine a world full of people like that. So it truly is, if we can all make that journey, whoa, transformation overnight, the whole world transformed uh, by us all transforming ourselves. Yeah. Maybe one of my favorite insights of the show. Right, of right idea. at the end as well, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, you can't go anywhere from that. That's like the pinnacle realization. Like, let's go do it. Let's make the space and attract and manifest. Well, Kiat, seriously, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story of Bewilder. I think all of us 
are going to be rooting for you and following your success, but I just appreciate how open you were about the process and sharing some deep, I mean, basically spiritual insights with us. It was really a pleasure to get to speak with you. So thank you so much for coming on the Mushroom Hour. Hey, man, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, man. Like It's been great. It's been great communicating with you, with everyone else who, who was listening in, you know, who will be listening in. Um, Yeah, it feels kind of, at times it feels kind of lonely being in Singapore, being pretty much the only person doing this. Um, so it's, it's also important for me to have this connection with you guys, you know. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's, let's rock the boat, man. Let's rock the boat.